Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel on the show as always. And it's that time of year where the schedule just gets thrown out the door. Uh, March Madness is in full swing. And if you're an Oregon fan, you're trying to juggle two different teams, two different deep runs into March Madness. That's how it goes when you are a fan of the Oregon Ducks. And that's how it is for us when we cover the Oregon Ducks. And so... Apologize if you're looking for a mailbag this week. Probably not going to happen because, hey, the men and the women's basketball teams keep winning basketball games, and we've got to talk about it. And most recently, the women – I don't know, Eric. I was surprised to find out going into their second-round matchup against three-seeded Georgia, Oregon being the six, they were the favored team. And so in the eyes of Vegas – Oregon's 57-50 victory was not an upset, but by the eyes of the seed line, this was a pretty big upset. Yeah, and, and, I, and I'll be straight up. Like I, I picked Georgia to win this game. We did our predictions going I had, in. I had in the Sweet 16. And Matt, Matt got this one right. By the way, we both had the men go into the Sweet 16. I have the men beating USC and going to the lead eight, so we'll see who's right there. Matt has them losing this game. Um, so that's kind of a little interesting stuff, but Matt, Matt nailed this one. And I, I was a little more skeptical. Um, you know, I don't think it's by mistake that the, the, the both of us, the reporters that cover the team more closely are a little bit more uh, <laughs> skeptical of the team's ability to make a run. And we know all the faults cause we watch every minute of it. And, and, you know, obviously I had expected that Georgia's backcourt would be a little bit more of an issue. And it, it was, that was where this game was pretty close, but I mean, and we can talk more about this throughout the show. Cause I think that's kind of the, 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 the I guess the storyline from this game is Oregon's front court. Boy, gosh, they figured something out there. And I think if I would have known going into this tournament that Sedona Prince would be good for 16, 17 points a game and Niara Sabali would step her game up a little bit and they'd actually start hitting some three-pointers, I, I would have probably felt a little differently about my expectations for this tournament. But it's all kind of come together in a surprising way. I mean, and, and I think part of it was and, and we, I know we discussed this at length in the podcast. This was a team that really, like, did not – they slumped it their way. They, you know, they were slumping down the stretch of the regular season. They were losing games to – albeit to tournament teams, but I, I did not see them winning this game, in part because they had played three teams from the Pac-12 that were three seeds or better. Georgia's a three seed, so you figure right. Georgia's online, at least with Arizona and UCLA, and they'd played Arizona and UCLA four games. Three of them had been 20-plus point blowouts. One was a close game, and I just kind of thought, well, Georgia's pretty comparable athletically to those two teams. They, they, they have backcourts that give that have given the Ducks difficulty in the past, kind of similar setup. I figured this is going to be very similar to those games, and it wasn't. And a lot of credit to the Ducks for getting this sorted out and for making a run that I don't think a lot of people expected. I mean, going into the season, this is a top 10 ranked team. Sweet yep. 16 would have been right where the expectation was. They'd make it this far. Maybe they'd make it to the lead eight, but the way they finished the season, this is certainly a bit of a surprise. And uh, again, a hat tip to Kelly Graves and the players for, for really getting it figured out and, and for changing their style 
um, to a certain degree on the fly here over the last couple of weeks um, since the loss to Oregon State in the Pac-12 tournament. They are playing a little bit differently, and it's really paying off. This game was one in which Oregon kind of ascended towards the end and Georgia kind of fell off. Uh, the Ducks scored field goals on five of the last field goal attempts. Uh, five of the last six, sorry. Uh, Georgia had they, – they made – they missed all five of their last five field goal attempts. They made just one of eight down the stretch, and they went the final two minutes and 34 seconds without a field goal. Um, it was a game in which Oregon shot 46% from the field. Georgia just 35, just 8% on three-pointers. One of 13 on three. Oregon shot five of 12 on three-pointers, 42% there. Um the one probably thing you're concerned about if you're Oregon is, Hey, you had 18 turnovers and that led to uh, 14 points off turnovers by the Georgia Bulldogs. But there's a reason for the 18 turnovers. You, you did not have Tahina Pow Pow playing in this game, your true point guard. Uh, Taylor Chavez only plays eight minutes because of her nagging injuries. And, and you're, you're dealt with, um, some players who are having to play out of position a little bit, but it's also kind of like you just mentioned, Derek, forcing this women's team to probably force feed its two best players in Sobley and Prince, Prince being when healthy. And it looks like she's all the way back now, the best player uh, on Oregon's roster. And she was the best player on the floor. And they, they combined for 37 points. 14 rebounds. I think they each had a couple blocks in this game as well. Prince um, had four. Prince yeah, had four. Prince had four herself. Uh, they had a couple steals each. I think they combined for five. Just an utter dominant performance. And while this game was playing out, you and I were talking about it early on uh, how Oregon was probably struggling a little bit. I don't know if struggling is the right word with Georgia's overall speed. But Oregon's length and their height just disrupted the Bulldogs entirely. They, they could not handle that. And I think that's going to be the recipe for success moving forward is can this women's team, can they stay in, in, in their defensive positions that they, that they have and heavily lean on the sheer size advantage that they have over mo most teams? Well, it's, I think it's really funny thinking about where this team is at right now from where the season started. And because when the season started, the whole thing with Kelly Graves was, you know, in the past we've been backcourt dominant, you know, obviously they had Satu and Ruthie, but, you know, Sabrina always was kind of the one running the show. And going into the season, it was, we are going to lean on our bigs. Sedona is going to be who we run our offense through. And because right. of some injuries um, and just because of, I think the difficulty of figuring out the right personnel packages, it never was a thing during the regular season where they really leaned upon, Sedona like this and they didn't really lean upon Sedona and Nara together and yet those two played 30 minutes together um, against Georgia on Wednesday Sedona played 37 minutes um, and I think I come away thinking this is kind of the style they had hoped they could play all season but that it just for whatever reason they just you know in, in a large part because of injury with Sedona's injuries and Niara had some health issues, the team having all these breaks. Uh, at one point, midway through, I think, January, they did try to go double big, and according to Graves, it just didn't seem like they were efficient offensively. But now kind of, they've kind of been forced to do this because of Pow Pow's injury, because Shelly and Chavez are both kind of dinged up, um, to kind of 
experiment a little bit on the fly with playing their two centers together. And it really has worked out. And what I love about it is I think they play really well off of each other too. Uh, and, and again, you have a size advantage that is nearly unmatched. You know, they go into this game with Louisville. I was just pulling up and we should note Louisville is the two seed. Oregon's going to play them Sunday at 4 PM game on ESPN. Um, but Louisville, the two seed who, by the way, had a hard time with Northwestern to advance really close game all the way through. They were trailing by 15 in the first quarter, but Louisville is six five six three up front. Oregon six seven six five. This could be another game where the Ducks have that advantage. And when those two are clicking, and they certainly were in that fourth quarter, I think they scored. I know they scored all seven of Oregon's field goals in that fourth quarter. Sadly, scored the last three to kind of put it away. But when they have those two going, um, it's really it really it's really a thing of beauty. And again, the fun part is that you can have Sedona kind of up at the elbow three point line initiating some of the offense, and you have Niara then at the block and they play kind of a little bit of a two, two, two woman game there. And it's really difficult to defend. Sedona's a great passer. Niara is a great finisher on the basket. And then Sedona also has the ability to kind of hit that 15 foot jumper, which you hit a couple of um, on Wednesday. And I think it's tough for teams to defend. So when those two have it going, they're, they're going to be really successful. Um, and it, you get kind of excited seeing the skeletons a bit of what the 2021-22 team could be like, not to go too far ahead here, but just a full season of if you had Niara and Sedona playing off each other for a full season with Tahina Pow Pow healthy and at point guard and with some of these wings that we're seeing kind of, I think, sort of emerge. And I think it still remains to be seen exactly how it's going to look. But I think you can see the future is awfully bright here. And I know it was kind of unclear. It was one of the things that was frustrating is I think all season you kind of wonder how this is all going to play together. It was just, there never really was a true identity. And I think it's pretty clear right now through two, through, through two tournament games that when they play those two together a lot, um, it gives them a tough, tough matchup for opponents and a chance to beat some teams that are maybe a little bit more skilled in the backcourt because right now Oregon is not going to be winning games with its guards pretty clearly. And you saw that again against Georgia. Georgia probably had the better guards, but Oregon's able to win because they absolutely dominated in the paint. Sobley was 7 of 14 from the field. Prince was 9 of 14. So collectively, 16 of 28 from the field. Uh, pretty dominant performance. But not only is it just those two that I think the, the size impacts Oregon in a positive manner and really affects their opponent, it's your small forward, Aaron Bowling. Mm -hmm. she, she's 6'3". And then Taylor Mikesell and Maddie Shear who are your guards in this game are both 5'11". And while on the men's side, that's, that's very small. On the, on the women's side, for, especially for your point guard, that's pretty big. Like, I, I really think that this women's team, it, it's, it's like old school basketball. We're just going to pound the, the ball into the paint and we're just going to out physical you and because we're taller than you and, and we're going to score that way. And it's going to be really interesting to see this women's team kind of, can they carry this momentum now into the sweet 16? Can they continue to use this size as the quality of opponent goes up? But then I kind of threw this out on Twitter. Maybe, maybe we were wrong about this Oregon team. Maybe they're actually pretty darn good. It's just the conference might be freaking really yeah. good because yeah. We don't, we don't know be, until now in the tournament because there wasn't really much of a non-conference. They, they basically played everybody within their league, and we don't have a true idea of how good this league is. And it might be a case where the Pac-12 is ridiculously good. 
uh, first thought just on the size here I, I and then i'll get to the point about the conference because i definitely agree with that the, the, with the size here i always add six inches to the women's height and i think that gives you like kind of the male equivalent if you think about it that way the, the lineup organ starting is like six five six five at guard six eight six nine at small forward and then like six eleven seven one at center and you think about that from a men's perspective uh, that's huge um that's like kind of the organ men's backcourt with a legitimate NBA frontcourt. I and mean, that's like an NBA size team. And I think, you know, you look at WNBA rosters, if you had a, a starting five like that, that would be pretty large. I mean, I, you know, not a lot of teams go six, five, six, seven in the front court. Some teams do, um, you know, when you have, when you have star centers, like a player like Brittany Griner that you build around, um, you know, there's a couple of others, but like, this is the tr- this is a certainly a large large starting five from a women's perspective and and you're not going to see a lot of teams have the size to match up with it just like when Oregon think about a couple of years ago the teams that gave them difficulty um, you know Mississippi State and Baylor with their size with their six foot seven six eight players you know with with the Kalani Browns and Tierra McCowans of the world Oregon now has flipped that where they have that size advantage and that's a big advantage come tournament time. Because guess what? You're going to have games where you can't hit the three-point shot. But if you can have some consistency around the basket, and Oregon clearly has that, that's going to be a lot more reliable in these games. So, yeah, I definitely agree with that. And then I think I think it comes to the point here. Yeah, I mean, I know UCLA was surprisingly ousted from the second round there by Texas and, and kind of beaten pretty soundly. They were down like 25 in the first half. But other than that, you go Arizona's dancing like we expected. Stanford's dancing like we expected in this Oregon team. And this is something Taylor Mike still said right before the tournament when I asked just kind of about how frustrating, disappointing the season was and how they're approaching NCAA tournament play, which she said, we think we're, we're set up to really compete with anybody game in and game out because the conference has been so tough and they've gone through the gauntlet. Now they've gone out and they've played all these top teams, didn't beat any of them. And I think that was certainly cause for concern and, and disappointment, et cetera. But like, I think you go, man, like they played Stanford twice and both games were pretty competitive. Stanford's clearly one of the shoot three or four best teams. I think ESPN has them as the, as the, the favorite right now on their story on the ESPN.com and on the front, the reseeding story. Um, Arizona with Ari McDonald is really, really tough out. So, you know, and, and Oregon never played those teams by the way, with this lineup. So not only were they playing really good teams in their conference, they weren't ever playing these teams sort of with the style they have now. And I think about the way Arizona, UCLA, and Stanford are constructed, and Oregon, again, would have a massive size advantage if they would have played those two together. So um, food for thought, certainly, in terms of like going forward in that conference, how Oregon can match up next year. But I think you're right in terms of there was no non-conference play. Oregon played three non-conference games against Seattle, Portland, and UC Davis. Um, those aren't exactly measuring stick games. UC Davis made the tournament, I think, as a, like a 12 or a 13 seed. They got ousted pretty fast. But, you, you know, like they, they didn't play South Carolina. They didn't play Louisville. They didn't play Mississippi State, some of these kind of non-conference games that they typically have been trying to schedule. Um, you know, they, they played – some small schools on the West coast and that was it. And so you just didn't really know exactly how they matched up other than their games against PAC 12 teams. And it's pretty clear the ducks played a really tough conference schedule and that's paying off. And I think that's the other part of where, you know, we, t- we joked a little bit before the PAC 12 or the, sorry, the NCAA tournament where how did the men get a worse seed than the women when the women were losing all these games and 
I guess credit to the, the you know the selection committee for saying well Oregon wasn't winning these games but every game they lost was to a tournament team and they played I think like the third hardest schedule in the country and were still I, I believe 11 or 12 in the net ranking um, which is the metric they use for this when they when they seed teams so Oregon was kind of this weird paper dragon sort of team where it's like the resume they don't have all these good wins but they played all these good teams they've been fairly competitive in this conference and I think that paid dividends and not only in where they were seeded but obviously now in getting them prepared for these big tough games against a team like Georgia which I I, I really think on paper I thought was a kind of a tough matchup with the way that they were positioning themselves from in the backcourt but Oregon clearly found the advantage in the frontcourt. One thing I think that that needs to be discussed is this team had a really herky-jerky end to their regular season. And you look at the schedule that was supposed to be played, the games that they were supposed to play that didn't get played. They had four games get postponed in late January to mid-February. Games against Utah, Colorado, Arizona State, California – I think they were going to try and make try and make up another game, and that got canceled as well. And then they close out the regular season with four straight losses. Uh, excuse me, not four straight losses. Uh, four of the last five. They lost to Stanford. They lost to UCLA. They beat USC. They lose at home to Oregon State, and then they lose in the Pac-12 tournament opening round game against the Beavers as well, uh, 64-71. And then they have a break. They played March 4th. That was when – they last played in the regular season and then they had what looks like math is real quick, 18 days <laughs> between Oregon state and South Dakota. I kind of wonder like, does the break help Oregon? Did, 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 and, and then all being back in Eugene and then getting to San Antonio and, and just practicing and, developing chemistry without having to worry about playing games. I think what you originally wonder is a negative has turned into a positive. They're able to stabilize themselves. Yeah. And Kelly Graves mentioned that part of that two week break, which is, you know, in the men's tournament jumps right into it pretty much. The women always have a couple weeks there. Um, 18 days is a little bit longer than normal. Usually Oregon would be playing into their conference championship game. And then it would be like a traditional two weeks. But, you know, what he has said in the past and, and reiterated this last week was that it, it, it's, it kind of curbs the momentum for the teams that are hot and it gives the teams that are not playing very well some time to kind of do some soul searching. And that's clearly what's happened. Um, I mean, you look at South Dakota and you look at Georgia, those two teams, South Dakota won its conference tournament. Georgia beat Texas A&M, beat Kentucky on the way to its conference tournament final and, and really gave South Carolina a tough game. And we saw South Carolina just obliterate the Beavers on – I think Tuesday in the, in the NCAA tournament, I think won by 20 points or so. Um, it's pretty clear. Oregon has been the flip side of that, right? I mean, these teams that Oregon faced were both hot going into the tournament, winning conference tournaments, playing for conference tournament finals. Oregon was not one of those teams. And clearly they, they took advantage of that break and they came into this tournament hot and ready to do some damage. And again, a huge tip of the cap for them for not just conceding this season. It's been a really difficult season for a lot of reasons. And I think we'll get more of the COVID difficulty stuff. The further we get away from the season, we'll probably get some more stories and ideas about just how difficult it was. And, you know, I think the mental health element of, of what these young women have had to go through of you're not around your friends or families. You don't have them going to your games, especially for, think about these freshmen 
first year away from home and suddenly they're a lot of them are all the way across the country. I mean, a lot of these players are from Kentucky and New Jersey and Indiana and, and Illinois and, and, you know, and to have them move that far away away from family and expect them to just be comfortable, not only being away, but not able to really develop friendships with players outside of the team. And even with the team that you have all this structure involved. I mean, it's, it's pretty high stress for three to four months here trying to play a season. So, you know, there's a lot of that part, but for them to buckle down and say, Hey, we're not going to, we're not going to just send it in and we're not going to just say, Hey, whatever enough is enough. The season was tough. Let's get on with it. Let's move on to the off season. And they really, you know, put their foot in the dirt and put their foot in the ground and said, Hey, we're going to fight. And they have, and it's paid off. And now we see a team that's playing to the, you know, the second weekend of the tournament, sweet 16 matchup with Louisville, an opportunity if they win that game to play Stanford, most likely in the elite eight. And it's a Stanford team who Oregon has played, should have some confidence going into that game if they were to get by Louisville. And I don't want to bypass the Cardinal altogether because they're the two seed for a reason and really talented. But if, if, if in fact they can win that game, I think Stanford is a team that might be one of the favorites in the tournament, but it's a team Oregon played basically evenly two games this season. They lost one by six points, but it was a two-point game late. And they had another one where, where they lost literally by two points and they had possessions at the end to try to tie or take the lead. So, um, you know, I mean, I'm not saying they're going to make the final four here, but I think if you just now take a look at it from a two game perspective, this is a spot we didn't expect them to be in. And I don't expect they're going to win both games and make the final four, but it certainly feels more, much more realistic right now when you're sitting in, in these shoes than it did a couple of weeks ago when you kind of went, gosh, are they even going to get out of this? Are they even going to make the sweet 16 this year? The door feels like it's now cracked open a, a little bit. Yeah. Like, yeah, it, it's not wide open. Um, but it, it's it's cracked now. And obviously you have to get past Louisville, but if you do and you face number one seed Stanford, you at least have some confidence that, hey, we can hang with this team. Like they, they played Stanford January 8th in Santa Cruz and they lost that game by seven. And then back in mid-February in Eugene, they lost against Stanford by two. So, I mean, while they haven't beaten Stanford, in both games, they had opportunities to win. And quite honestly, I think if, if I remember correctly, they probably should have won that Stanford game in Eugene. Yeah. Um, that, that was one that they kind of choked it away a little bit. You know, a lot of good fortune had to go Stanford's way to win that one. So you go into the second week now of the tournament, at least feeling like, hey, we can not only can we hang, we can, these are winnable games for us. It's going to take an A-plus effort. But if we play our best, we, we're good enough to win. Um, I think that's the biggest takeaway I have from this first weekend of games for the Ducks. Now, real quick, let's, let's preview this Louisville team. Um, what do you know? Obviously, you're going to have more coverage on, on this matchup later on in the week. But early thoughts on facing Louisville. Well, it, it's funny because you watched – for those that stuck around the game directly after the Oregon win over Georgia was Louisville Northwestern in their second round game. And that was a game where if you hadn't known the seed lines, you thought Northwestern was the better team by far after the first quarter, it was 25 to seven in the first quarter. Um, Northwestern was ahead and a lot of credit to Louisville for not only, you know, slowing down Northwestern, but for, for winning predominantly down the stretch. I mean, they, that was a game where Northwestern, I think scored, 25 first quarter points and then like about 25 points the rest of the game. Um, so there's that element of it. I think when you, this is a team where 
you know their star player. Dana Evans has been, for the last couple of years, one of the league's best, or the, should say the country's best guards. Um, that's going to be a really tough matchup for probably Maddie Shear takes that. I mean, she ever, you know, Evans averages about 20 points this year. She averaged about 20 points last year. She's a really dynamic scorer, can really get to the rim, a decent perimeter shooter, shoots a lot. Um, the ball's in her hand the most. I mean, you look at their stats, it's pretty eye-opening. She's taken 473 shots this season. The next most is, is 263. So, I mean, she's shooting, you know, roughly eight to nine more shots per game than any of her teammates. Um, so the ball is going to be in her hands and it's going to be up to Oregon to slow her down. And this is a team very similar to Georgia or some of, you know, some of these Pac-12 teams where it really is their, is their backcourt. Maybe this is a little bit of a similar team to an Arizona to a certain degree where their top three scorers are all guards. Um, Haley Van Lith is a name Oregon fans might remember. She's a five-star recruit from this recruiting class, the same class for, as Oregon's Fab Five group. Um, she's from the state of Washington. The recruit Oregon was really in on until the end. And I, I think Oregon kind of at the time felt like maybe they were good at guard and, and Louisville had some more needs there. So she went that path. But this is a player that they were really in on until the end. She averages 11 points per game. She started every game this season. Um, they are not super big. Like I said a little bit earlier, they go six, five, six, three in the front court. Um, you know, they're or actually six, five, six, one is their starting five front court. They've got a couple of players that are, um, small, a little bit bigger that come off their bench. This is not a team that is going to, I think this is somewhat of a similar matchup to Georgia, but the difference being that the offensive play at guard is a lot better. And maybe the defensive play at guard is not quite as tenacious, um, like I kind of think about Louisville um, and again, I'll, I'll have to unpack some more. I'm sure we'll talk to Kelly Graves some point this week before the matchup to get kind of his scouting report, but my, my kind of having watched them play that game and, and, and having followed this program and know some of these players is that this is a more talented backcourt offensively from what Oregon just faced in Georgia, but in the front court, they're nowhere near as good off. I mean, Georgia's leading score was their center. That's they don't really Louisville doesn't really go to its bigs. It's almost all of its scoring comes from its its perimeter players, um, and they are not huge. So I, this is a game where I, I think once again it's going to be can Oregon's guards keep them? Can they play just well enough to keep them in this game? And can Oregon's front court do enough to pull them ahead? Um, I, I don't know if Louisville has the size and athleticism in its front court to slow down Prince or Sabali, but sim just a similar, I don't know if Oregon has the depth and athleticism and quickness to stay in front of Dana Evans or Kiana Smith, who's another one of their quick guards or Haley Van Lith, who I just mentioned um, that five-star freshman. Um, it's going to be again, a battle of front court versus back court. And for Oregon to win, they are going to have to have really strong performances from Sedona, Prince, and from Yara Sabali, and they're going to have to have their guards really step up. Maddie Shear is known to be a good defensive player. If she could somehow make it really difficult for Dana Evans for 40 minutes, she's going to earn her keep, and Oregon might have a chance to advance. Um, not to put everything on her shoulders because she's a freshman. She hasn't played a whole lot all season until the injury. But this is a, this is a player who um, undoubtedly uh, has a shot here to shine, and we'll see what she can do in a big moment here against a really good team in a big tournament stage. Certainly going to be fun to see this game play out. Uh, the Ducks will stay in San Antonio for at least a couple more days. We'll get more time to practice, more time to gel, more time to get healthy. Um, I guess let's end it here, Eric, with the women's preview side of things. Uh, chances Tahina Pow Pow can play or – is there a better chance that Taylor Chavez can be available to play more than eight minutes? 
um, in, in the Sweet 16 games. What, what's Oregon's health status right now? Yeah, I don't think we're going to see Tahina Pow Pow or Jazz Shelley play this upcoming weekend. Um, maybe Shelley's available for some minutes. I think you could hope Chavez is available for a more expansive role. I don't think that's out of the question. Um, with Pow Pow, Graves had said if they got into April, and, and shoot, they're going to, I mean, they're, they're, their second game, that Elite Eight game would, in theory, if they do advance, would be played, what, right on like the 31st of or so of of March, so right around that cutoff time. So maybe there's a possibility for the second game. But I, I just don't expect that you're going to see Pow Pow play until, unless they made a Final Four run. I think this is an injury that's going to keep her out for a minute. So I wouldn't anticipate seeing her play um, against Louisville. It would, it would change the dynamic a lot if she could. Um, you also wonder how healthy she would be, and that's a tough matchup for her against an elite elite backcourt in Louisville for her first game back. There's no doubt about it. We'll be interesting to see if they can get a little bit more help uh, if their bench can expand just a little bit. Or maybe, Eric, like I, I kind of wonder if Kelly Graves making the decision to basically play seven players has kind of helped spring this run into the Sweet 16. It, yeah, I, I think I, so. I, I, You, me, privately off, you know, when we're just watching games together on online, it, it's it's been a case where I've been an advocate for they need to play fewer players, and maybe that's a big reason why this season has has gone away. It has now at the end of the year to the Sweet Sixteen. He's Kelly Graves is shortening his bench and not expanding. Yeah, really quick because I know we're going to get to the men, but they played basically five players thirty or more minutes. They're starting five, and then they played a couple players off the bench like ten to twelve minutes. I mean, it was not a deep rotation. And I think that has played a role in it of just, Hey, we're going to pick five and we're going to play those five. And it might not have been the five we expected it would be, but we're going to at least play those five. And um, it's working. I think it's, it's, I've liked what I've seen with just sticking with the core group, especially when you have the two bigs out there. I think you have to continue to do that going forward. Um, And I think you get really excited looking big picture, you know, globally for the next couple of years about the idea of, of that front court, that twin tower starting um, front court of six five Nara Sabali and six seven Sedona Prince and and I'm you know you don't want to see Pow Pow get hurt but it may have been kind of a, a blessing in disguise to have a situation that forced you to do that um, so that you realize that this is what you needed this is how you kind of needed to build your and construct your roster going forward because it was pretty clear that they were looking for identity all season and it's never too late to figure it out and I think they've kind of identified their best way to play. The women will be playing Louisville. Sunday, 4 p.m. Pacific time game is on ESPN coming out of San Antonio, Texas. All right, let's shift gears towards the men's side now. Um, one in which Eric, literally while we were recording this podcast, I found it. Um, USC continues to talk that smack uh, to the Oregon Ducks, and I am all about it. First, it was their sophomore Captain, excuse me, I, I think on the podcast earlier this week, I said it was Evan Mobley, their star freshman, top, you know, potential number one draft pick. It was actually <laughs> their captain, their sophomore, the older brother of Evan Mobley, Isaiah Mobley, when he kind of insinuated that Oregon is a little bit lucky. Uh, and then also said that Oregon stole the Pac-12 championship from the Trojans, despite USC losing three of their last five games in the regular season. But that has nothing to do with uh, the thievery there. Um, right. The the USC Instagram account now has gone into a March Madness official bracket, uh, March Madness, NCAA's March Madness Instagram account. And today 
uh, on March 25th. Had to look at the date for a second here. Thursday, they posted some clutch buckets to find the Ducks in 2017. And it was just a bunch of highlights as Oregon won uh, their second round game against Rhode Island and then beat Michigan in the Sweet 16 and then went on to beat Kansas in the Elite Eight to get to the Final Four. Hey, they're just promoting a team that's in the Sweet 16, kind of, hey, this team's been here. They've had a success before. Uh, four years ago, this is when Oregon went to the Final Four. USC's Instagram account goes into the comment section and posts a bunch of yawn emojis. Um, I have a very hard time seeing Dana Altman allowing Oregon's social t- uh, team to go in and do this. Um, it's, it's, it's petty. It's awesome. I love it. But at the same time, why are you poking the bear? Why are you like, if you're the Trojans, why are you trying to piss off or the, the, the league's most successful team over the last five or six years going into a game that you're going to play them. It, it's so silly to me. I don't understand it, Matt. I don't, <laughs> I hadn't seen it until you were explaining it to me. And then I, I see, I saw you posted it on Twitter. So I pulled it up. It's like, it's like, what, 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 what's the end game for, 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 for USC? What are they, what are they trying to accomplish right now? And I'm not saying, I'm not saying that, you know, it's not kind of comical or fun to have this stuff go on, but I, I love it. I mean, we, we we're both enjoying it. Um, it's not like it's something that's really, I, I don't see how this benefits USC at all other than to just be like, we don't think what, this is a PAC 12 rivalry game in the NCAA tournament. So we're going to play up that part of it. But like, I, I don't see what, what you're doing here. That's going to benefit anything besides take away from what was like arguably the best season Oregon has had. And like, not, you know, not that they really, this isn't the point of it, but you could then make the argument of like, what's the last memorable USC NCAA tournament yeah, run? Like, right? This is basically it. USC has not been to the final four in a very long time. And to sort of to belittle Oregon's run from four years ago or five years ago now, it feels like kind of silly, but um, I'm with you. I think it's hilarious. I don't understand exactly what the Trojans are thinking or what they think they're getting out of it though. It just seems like, like you said, it's like you're poking the bear just to poke the bear. Um, and, and we'll see, you know, I, I know there's something you said before, we will have to see what the or if what, how aware the Oregon players were. Obviously, Dana's not going to jump into it, but you know whatever players made available after the game, assuming Oregon wins, how aware they were of it, and kind of if that played any how they reacted to, to, to kind of what this stuff is because it just seems like it's sort of silly from USC's perspective, especially going into a game with a team that like I don't think I mean I think USC's what like a one and a half point favorite maybe. I don't think I look at USC and think they're significantly better than this Oregon team. And I certainly think this is going to be a, a really fun matchup on, on Sunday. Going into uh, our Thursday morning when we're recording this podcast, um, looking at the line, it opened as a pick em. It has now dropped to or, uh, Oregon being a two-point underdog. So the Trojans are favored by two points going into this game. And that's kind of right about right. Like, yeah. I mean or- – Oregon did lose by 14 at USC in the one meeting of the year. It was 72-58, a game in which in probably the first 10 minutes of the game it was over um, because USC just literally shot their lights out uh, and and had like career performances shooting the ball on three. Now Oregon's argument for that is going to be, well, we played a whole bunch of games. We had like one day to scout after playing two other games that week. We were tired. It was a road trip game too. You know, yada, yada, yada. But excuses are excuses. You know, no one wants to hear that. Oregon lost. They got, you know, they, they lost by 14 in that game. 
but USC fan listen to this podcast. They're going to, they're going to call me a Homer. Um, I think Oregon's the better team despite that outcome. And I think Oregon's the better coached team. Uh, and when you match up Dana Altman against Andy Enfield, the, the thing that makes me pause though, that says Oregon could lose this game. I had Oregon losing to Kansas and in retrospect, that was a horrible decision because I kind of forgot about a couple of their players having COVID um, and, and right. weren't, weren't going to show up until literally like the day of the game. Um, that was stupid of me to do that. I, I should have had uh, Kansas out and after one, one game um, I probably would have picked USC to get to the sweet 16. And then um, I, I probably would have naturally picked, I, I, I would pick Oregon over USC in, in March. Um, I'm, I think Oregon wins this game. But what makes me pause, though, is I've said it before on the show, teams that will give Oregon trouble are ones that are just as athletic, just as skilled, and are significantly bigger than them. Because Oregon is 6'6 across the board, basically. Um, USC is going to be considerably taller than them, and they will have a ton of athleticism out on the court. Evan Mobley at seven foot. Isaiah Mobley at 6'10", and then you've got Taj Edey, who's 6'2", Drew Peterson, who is 6'8", and then they kind of rotate between Chavez Goodwin, who's 6'9". They also throw in Isaiah White, who's 6'7". Sometimes we'll we'll see Ethan Anderson start, who's 6'1", and then also they have another 6'8 guy that that will start as well. So this is a a USC team where they – specifically up front are just huge and they're Evan Mobley is the number one draft pick in my eyes. I think he's the best player in, in college basketball. Um, and he can shoot threes. Isaiah Mobley can shoot threes. They can handle the ball. They can block shots. They can defend. Well, that's going to be the difference. Can, if, if, if USC is shooting like they did against Kansas, it's going to be extremely hard for Oregon to win. If they come down to their averages, I think Oregon can can get this game and could could maybe even win kind of going away. But USC has looked really really good the last couple of games, and when they're shooting it so well, it might not be a, a case of it doesn't matter really what Oregon does, just because they're bigger and they're just as if not more athletic, and now they're shooting the ball really well. Well, it's pretty clear Oregon's biggest advantage against Iowa was just they were a lot more athletic, quick of foot, can kind of beat Iowa to whatever spot in the court they wanted to. Um, I think especially I was – well, I think everybody. I mean, Garza didn't exactly stay in front of Yuji Amarui or even Frank Kepnong a couple times was able to get behind him for a dunk. I mean, it, Iowa was just step, a step slow. USC will not be a step slow. And I think the thing that was so impressive in the first game, it was the first game, second round against USC, was just Oregon was able to get to the rim every time. And if they didn't want to dunk it, they would pass it to a wide-open three-point shooter. They're not going to be allotted those same advantages, I don't think, against USC. USC is quicker on the perimeter. USC has actual rim protection, arguably the best rim protection in the country in Evan Mobley, a Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year, like Matt said. Certainly going to be one of the first two to three players off the off the draft board in a couple of months for the NBA. I mean, he's that kind of a player, um, special talent athletically at that size, and he will not make it 
you know, while Luca Garza was a heck of an offensive player, the guy was kind of just like a net negative on defense. That's not the case here. Mobley's a much more complete player. So I look at that and think that's where this matchup gets a little potentially scary is if, if Oregon is unable to get to the rim like they were against Iowa and, and honestly when they've had some success and if USC is able to really contest those three-point shots. I think this game really comes down to how well does, or- does USC defend Oregon and offensively it's will they really just pound Evan Mobley at the rim because that's really what they should do in this game. I mean this is similar to we talk about the women's team where you've got the size advantage with Prince and Sabali. If you're USC it's like go to your all world center and just he's going against guys who are five, six inches shorter than him. Go to him every time. The thing with you watch USC play though, and you see is they have Mobley sometimes setting up from 20 feet from the basket, 15 right. feet from the basket. And if I'm Andy Enfield, I, I'd say, let's just put him right at the rim and make Oregon double him and, and then force it out to the shooters. So it'll be interesting to see exactly how USC kind of handles things. I think from a size perspective, they have the edge. Um, from an athleticism perspective, I don't know if they do, but I just know that they're better suited to defend Oregon's athleticism and its quickness on the perimeter than Iowa was. And if you're Oregon, you just hope you can win those one-on-one matchups um, and make the right decisions when you get to the ball to the basket. Because that's the difference between Iowa and USC is Iowa was once I get past my guy, it's like there's a dunk or a three-point shot I can pass to. Against USC, it's going to be, well, I probably am not getting that dunk, but can I find someone to drop it off to around the basket? Can I find a shooter in the corner somewhere? Um, it's just a little more difficult with with a guy like Mobley at the rim. I think Amarui needs to have a big game, but Oregon wins this game in my eyes if both Richardson and Duarte go off for the Ducks. Because I look at I look at USC's guards and Taj Edi, Drew Peterson, Isaiah White. Ethan Anderson. I, I, I think they're good. Like Tajidi's Tajidi's a, a, a solid player, but I don't look at Peterson. I don't look at white. I don't look at Anderson and look at them and think these are, these are killers. These are guys that are going to just, if, if, if we don't stay with them, they're going to go off and they're going to carry a team to, to a victory. Like, they're not going to lose you a game, but they're also guys I don't think are going to be like, hey, you know, they're going to carry us when our best player down low isn't, isn't playing well. And so I look at this and think Oregon needs Richardson and Duarte to go off in this performance. And, and if they do, it's going to cause a ton of stress on USC's guards, and it's going to pull the, the, the Trojans' bigger players down low further out they're going to have to help a little bit more the driving lanes will open up a little bit and guys like Amarui and Figueroa and Eric Williams can then drive and finish in in the paint so I I think for me it's almost like if Duarte and Richardson both go go off and play good games Oregon's in a good spot and if you look at that USC game earlier in the year Duarte had 11 points on five of eight shooting I think he got benched in at the start of the second half like Altman was not happy with his defense and what he was doing on the offensive side of the court in that first half. Um, And then Richardson played 32 minutes, two of eight from the field. He had just five points. He had four steals. He didn't commit any turnovers, but he had just one assist. I mean, he was not aggressive at all in that game. Jalen Terry actually had a really solid performance off the bench, even though he didn't score any points. 
Um, he had three assists. He had a steal, um, was very aggressive in, in that second half for the Ducks. And I also would, would counter with, I don't think Eric Williams was all the way back yet healthy. Um, he, he'd been battling some injuries and I, I, I think he was, he, he came off the bench in that one, played 26 minutes, um, really going to be interesting. And then obviously you, you need Amarui to play good too. I mean, he had nine points and three rebounds it was three of 10. He really struggled with the length of USC uh, in that game. And, but I, I really go back though, Eric, to thinking like Oregon's going to win this game because Duarte and Richardson go off. Like those are, you know, they are significantly better than anyone USC has at the guard position and they need to show it. And if they don't, it's going to be tough sledding for Oregon. I think the other two players that come to mind that really need to play well, Eugene Amarui, and I'm going to throw his name out there, even though he, we don't really know what his role will be, but Freight Kepnong. Yeah. Just because I think the size of USC is different than the size of Iowa. And if I'm, think, I mean, if, if you're thinking like of the, the most disastrous outcome here, it's that USC does what the Oregon women just did to Georgia and they just pound the ball down low. And, in doing that, there would be probably targeting Amarui, who's giving up a lot of size, even though Amarui is a more veteran player and I think would would give Mobley some difficulty with his length and athleticism. I mean, you can't really teach a five or six inch height difference. I mean, that's kind of just the, the facts of life. I wonder, and I know, I know, Matt, we talked about Kepnong last time against Garza, how much would he play? Do you think he did? enough in that game even though it was in some small stretch runs i know there's some fun highlights of him dunking him making a nice pass him blocking a couple shots did you do enough in that game for you to say hey he can play 10 minutes of really aggressive defense on mobley and challenge him that way just to have a little bit more size or are you still coming at this like their best way of approaching this game is to just play those five players basically as much as possible and if Kepnong can give you a couple minutes here or there at the end of a half, or if a player gets into foul trouble, that's great. Um, I mean, where are, you, where are you at with him? Because I think a lot of people, he's easy to root for. He's extremely infe- infectious energy. And I, I realize, as I say it, that's a bad choice of words right now, given everything. But, you know, his, his energy off the bench is awesome. He comes in, he plays really hard. Um, is he somebody you think, Oregon will play more than a handful of minutes in this, in this game. Um, or, or do you think they're still kind of in wait and see mode with, with what he brings exactly? Well, Oregon will, will, will roll with their five until they figure out that it's not working and then they'll readjust. And, and then when one of their five has to come off, Lawson will most likely be the first guy off the bench. Um, and then Hardy, and it'll be basically those seven. And then, in spot duty, we could see Frank, we could see Jalen Terry play um, in, in this game. I do think it's a bigger concern for Oregon to stop the three-point shooting. I mean, the, the reason why they won that game was because Tajidi had literally an out-of-body experience shooting the three-pointer. I mean, went six of 11. USC made 10 threes in that game, and – Taj Edie made six of them. And I want to say like four came in the first five minutes, I think, of that game. I mean, it was ridiculously what, what he was doing from, from three. He had three in the first like nine, 90 seconds. Um, eight of 15 from the four overall. Drew Peterson 
he made two of four. So, you know, two guys made eight of their 10 threes in that game. And so I, I think the bigger issue for Oregon, as crazy as it sounds, isn't like, like, I bet you if, if USC, if Oregon, if you came to Oregon and say, Hey, Evan Mobley is going to get his, he's going to go for 35 and he's going to have a double, double. He's going to have a couple blocks. He'll have a couple steals, but no other guy on the team will go off. Oregon will take that every day. And that's the exact same game plan that they used against Iowa. Yep. Was, was, Hey, Garza's going to, we don't, we don't have an answer for Garza. Let's let him get his, let's try and prevent him from getting the ball. But if he does get good low post position and he does get it and he scores, so be it. Let's just have no one else on, on Iowa's team beat us. And that's what their game plan was. And that's what happened. And I think that's going to be similar to what they do against USC is, Hey, we probably don't have a good answer for Mobley. And so if he goes for 35, who cares? Because if everybody else on the team scores 20 points, we're still going to win. Like that's, I think what, what their approach is going to be to this game is, can you make it a track meet, make it up and down so that the Mobley brothers have to run around a lot, tire out a little bit and just shut down everybody else. And so I know your, your question was about Frank. I I don't think he plays a ton unless Oregon is allowing guys on the perimeter to to score baskets and Evan Mobley is doing damage and they need to take out one of the two and they're struggling with the perimeter. All right, let's try and see if Frank can maybe disrupt things. He'll play, but I I don't think he's going to play more than 10 minutes and, and maybe that's all he needs. Maybe he comes in and just for like two different times, one time in the first half, one time in the second half. And it's like, Frank, I don't care if you pick up three fouls in the next three minutes. You just need to play incredibly hard, play really physical, and just kind of get into him mentally a little bit, and then we're going to pull you out. And then we'll do it again uh, in the second half at a different point in time. Like, I I just don't think Frank will play a ton of minutes in this game. Maybe 10, maybe maybe a little bit less, but I don't think he'll become a focal point. As much as the fan base wants him to be, and look, I think he will next year be a huge focal point. But like what Altman said about Garza, like, that's one of the best players in the country. Frank's a freshman that came in halfway through the year. Don't want to ask too much from him. Same deal here against Mobley. Yeah, I, I think five minutes each half was kind of what I would suggest would make a lot of sense if, if he's up for it, just in terms of that energy, that size to just sort of change things up because Oregon is small on that back end there. And, and you, I don't know if you want to let Mobley feel like he gets comfortable going against six, six guys the whole game. If you can have at least something – you know, a little change of speed, as they say with baseball, you know, throw, throw, give some sort of off-speed pitch. I guess maybe this is your fastball with your bigger player, but just provide a little something to, to get him off balance. And again, I think the thing with Mobley that I find interesting when I watch them is, is how much he's setting up, not just right at the block. Um, if I had that kind of size, and I know Oregon's a little different, and I, I didn't watch the first Oregon-USC game, and maybe they will just have him one foot in the lane for 40 minutes and just every time down, you just give him a touch, try to get him turn around basket, you know, right. He turns around, he can basically lay it in. Um, but if I'm, you know, from what I've seen, if he's going to set up 10 to 15 feet from the basket, that's a win for Oregon. Cause you're going to have the quickness advantage. Anytime he takes it to the, you know, takes it to the rim and you feel a lot better about a seven foot guy shooting 15 foot shots than three yes. foot shots. So um, I think that's going to be interesting too here is, is d- how do they attack Oregon defensively? Cause I think if they have Mobley away from the basket, I don't care what the strategy is. I think that's a mistake for USC. 
it's going to be interesting to see play out. And I'm going to just continue to love to see all the other things that USC does between <laughs> now and the start of the tip. Because, look, like, it's, it's all in fun. But at the same time, it's kind of like, I don't know if this is the team – in your own conference to be picking. Like, I know you got confidence in your guys and your squad, but you're talking a lot of smack for a team that hasn't made the final four since like the fifties. And this is, I think the second time they made the sweet 16 in in 30 years where Oregon's going on their fourth in the last five. Um, it's more so kind of uh, eh, making too big, too much of a big deal out of this, but <laughs> I, I just, I, I love it. I think it's petty. I think it's awesome. Uh, and I'm curious to see how Oregon responds on the court. Um, they will be playing Sunday night. Uh, it is the final game of the evening, I believe, in the, the men's side of the NCAA tournament. Um, I want to get this right, so I'm looking it up real quickly. The men will be playing Sunday at 6.45 Pacific time, TBS. Uh, Jim Nance, the, the top crew for the NCAA tournament will be calling this game. So uh, we'll be interesting to, to hear what they think of the Ducks. Grant Hill uh, will be also be calling the game with Bill Raffrey, which will be following a game against Creighton and Gonzaga. Winner of those two matchups will face each other. So Oregon playing for the right to most likely play Gonzaga in the Elite Eight. Um, feel fairly confident that's going to be what the matchup is. Uh, we'll see what happens though. Maybe upsets happen. Maybe Oregon gets upset. Maybe, or maybe USC wins. Maybe Gonzaga gets upset. Storylines abound regardless. Um, we'll have full coverage of both the men and the women's sweet 16 games this weekend on duckterritory.com. Highly encourage you guys to go and check that stuff out. And until we talk to you, whenever we talk to you, because honestly our schedule is all messed up right now. We don't know when we're going to be back. It'll be soon, but until we do, Thank you for listening to the Autzen Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.